Sound Words, Christian Magazine, republished by Irving Risch, host of Down to Earth but Heavenly Minded Podcast. Fifth Article, An Outline of the Epistle to the Ephesians. The Substances of Bible Readings Held at Thropton with W.M. C. Reed. Ephesians Chapter 2, The Great Power of God, Manifested in Taking Christ Out of Death and Setting Him Down at His Right Hand in the Heavenlies is here operative in quickening from among Gentile and Jew those whom God has marked out for blessing according to his eternal counsels. As quickened they now live in the knowledge of God's love, and have been raised up and made to sit in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 and 13, the truth is presented separately regarding God's blessing of Gentile and Jew. First of all, the Gentile is seen as dead in deeds offensive to God and in acts of lawlessness, walking in a course belonging to a world afar from God, where all subsists for the glory of man and for the gratification of his sinful nature. Blinded and led on by Satan, who brings the darkening influences of another realm into this world, of which he has become the God and Prince. Those who disobey the truth of God, given in testimony in the Gospel, are found the willing slaves of his power and will. Spite of the light from God, given in God's goodness to Israel, the Jews were no better than the Gentiles, being sons of disobedience. Their lives were lived in fleshly lusts, dictated by the evil impulses of the flesh and by the thoughts of a mind in willful opposition to God. Not one whit different into practice to the Gentiles, in nature they were children of wrath even as they. Being found without a movement within him answering to God, God must work entirely from himself, according to his sovereign mercy, if man is to be blessed. But the God who is presented in chapter 1 as rich in grace and rich in glory, is here seen as rich in mercy, because of his infinite and boundless compassions to Jew and Gentile. Found alike in moral and spiritual death, incapable of the slightest response to what is divine, God communicates to them his own life, an entirely different life to that given to Adam in Eden. It is the life in which his own son lives before his face in the heavenly places, and in this life they live with Christ in the sphere of glory and love that he fills. What a salvation is this! Saved out of death's clasp, and from the sinful condition that formerly marked us, we are now able to answer to the thoughts and feelings of the heart of God, as having his life. This salvation is altogether of grace, it is God's sovereign unmerited favor, unsought by us, and unknown till God took hold of us. Observe that quickening is not used of Christ here, in chapter 1 he is raised, but we are quickened before we are raised up. The reason is evident, quickening is a moral thought here, which never could apply to one who is perfect in every moral feature, the holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. But we are quickened that we might be suitable morally for association with that blessed perfect man, that we might have part with him, sharing his place before the face of his God and Father, and ultimately sharing with him all the glory. In quickening us, God has given us a new state, but he has also given us a new position in raising us up and making us to sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is the new place which belongs to those associated with the heavenly Christ, it is here we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, in a world of divine glory and affections. Established in new creation according to God's counsels. How wonderful, that we can turn away from this present world through which we pass, and look up to Christ in the heavenlies, and say, that is our place. Our thoughts should be centered there. Our present course regulated by what God has so graciously given us in his own presence. Then God has told us what is before him in so blessing us, he has given us this exalted position and manifested this marvelous and abundant kindness, to display before the universe in the coming ages. The surpassing riches of his grace.
What kindness can compare with God's kindness? He has taken rebel and ruined sinners from the depths of sin and shame, and out from the power of death, and given them to share his son's place in the brightest spot in heaven. Every saved soul in that vast assembly, sharing Christ's glory, will display to the admiring hosts of earth and heaven something of the wonderful kindness that brought him there. Some feature of the grace of God in which he is so exceedingly rich. Again we read that we are saved by grace. Whether we think of the beginning of the work of grace, in saving us from the dreadful plight we once were in, or its crown in bringing us to the place where grace is to be displayed. It must be evident that we had no hand in it at all, all is from God, his sovereign intervention to bless us. But faith laid hold on the salvation proffered in the gospel, but even this precious faith did not spring from anything in us, it was the gift of God. Nor was this great salvation presented to man on the principle of works. The law had proved man incapable of receiving on that principle, moreover, this principle excluded all thought of human boasting, that day of the display of his rich grace will be for God's boast, and ours of him. God then has been working for us, to bring us into such untold blessing, but he has also been working with us and in us, for we are his workmanship. His workmanship is in new creation, we are formed after Christ's image in suitability for the place we have in Christ now in the heavenly places and the place we shall have with Christ in the glory of the coming ages. But there is the present object of the new creation, the beautiful features of the new creation are to be manifested in the old creation circumstances in which we are now found. The light of heaven is to shine forth in the body of humiliation, the good works so manifest in the life of Jesus are to be richly shed in the Christian's walk. God has nothing else for us here than that we should walk in the steps of his dear Son. There is naught but good, perfect goodness in the new creation, and it is wonderful that its precious fruits can be brought to this barren waste in those on whom God has wrought. There are no good works in man naturally, he never could have received salvation on this ground, but what man could not produce for God, God has produced in man, and all the outcome of his wisdom. Grace and power, in new creation. Knowing our present portion in Christ, and our future in the glory with Christ, we are not to forget the pit from which we were dug. This will but serve to enhance in our eyes the richness of the grace of God. We were poor Gentile sinners in the flesh, and as uncircumcised, kept out of the place of privilege in which favored Israel enjoyed dispensational and ceremonial nearness to God. With the knowledge of God in the revelation of himself to the fathers and in the Old Testament scriptures. As Gentiles we had no claim on Christ, for he was Israel's Messiah, nor could we claim blessing from the covenants containing the promises, for these were not made with the Gentiles. All that Israel possessed was for themselves, not for sharing with the nations. There was no single ray of hope to break in upon our darkest, a darkness in which we were as having given God up, not thinking it good to have him in our knowledge. What a position! What a state! What a prospect! Never a longing within the bosom for God, unaware of our desperate need, not a single glimmer of divine light upon our goings, not a prospect of blessing before us but distanced from all good and love in our evil ways, our course was shaped for eternal misery in perdition. What a contrast to all this is now ours through the intervention of God. We are in Christ Jesus, occupying this blessed place before God's face, having been brought into this place of nearness by the precious blood of Christ. The blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat of old, and before it seven times foreshadowed for us God's glory secured in bringing a people near to himself by the blood of him who shall fill the whole universe with God's glory. And Christ himself is the peace of Jew and Gentile blessed in him, and made one in him.
there are very pronounced distinctions between Jew and Gentile, they are not one in position, manner of life, religion or outlook, the law has made these distinctions. It was a wall which kept the Jew separate from the Gentile. The law set out what kind of life the Jews should live, they were to live for God as apart from the Gentiles with all their idolatry and corruption. But in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the law has been set aside as the rule of life for the converted Jew, it never was the rule of life for the Gentile. Nor was it ever given as the rule for the Christian's life. Christ is the rule of life for the Christian, and it is in him that God has formed Jew and Gentile into one new man. Two different kinds of men, both sinners, could not but be at enmity, for both had different and opposing rules of life. Indeed, the Jew had the law as his rule of life, but the Gentile was lawless, doing what was right in his own eyes. But God has now one man, and he is a new man. Hence there can no longer exist the old enmity. Both Jew and Gentile have gone from before God's eye, and the new man that is before him bears all the blessed features of Christ, his well-beloved Son. But God has not only brought the Jew and Gentile believers into right relations with each other, he has brought them into right relations with himself. There was not only the enmity existing between Jew and Gentile, which kept them apart, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, there was also the natural enmity of man's heart to God. In Jew as well as Gentile. That enmity had to go before man could be reconciled to God. How was God going to dispel the enmity of the human heart towards him? The answer is found in the cross of Christ. In that cross, in which the heart of God has been told out in all its mighty love, our old man was crucified with Christ. The old man in whom there were found and displayed the features which alike mark both Jew and Gentile, and the love of God told out there has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thus displacing every bit of enmity towards God in those who have the Spirit. This wonderful reconciliation has been effected in one body, into which all believers, whether Jew or Gentile, have been formed for the pleasure of God. That the rich blessings, secured by his death, might be brought to us, Christ Jesus has preached peace to the far-off Gentiles through the gospel. And peace to the Jews who were near to God as his earthly people. Both needed the good news of peace, which could never have been found by the lawless Gentile, or enjoyed under the labor and burdens of an exacting and cursing law. And not only does the Christ bring to us the blessedness of peace, but through him Jew and Gentile, have access by one spirit to the Father. Here we reach what God has in mind for us while awaiting the full blessing of the coming day. His presence is open to us, it is to himself that we can come, to be found before him in the deep enjoyment of his love, to enter into the glorious thoughts revealed in his purpose. And to worship him in spirit and in truth. What communion is ours? This is now ours in the nearest possible relationship to the Father himself. Such privileges and blessings being ours, we can realize that we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens of the saints, and of the household of God. We participate in a spiritual and heavenly way in all the blessings and privileges of the city and house of God. Of this spiritual structure the New Testament apostles and prophets form the foundation, perhaps both personally and in their writings, and as having received the truth ministered by them, we have been built upon the foundation. Of this building, Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone, the one upon whom every section and every line of the structure converges, who gives character, ornament, and beauty to each detail and to the whole. And in whom we read every thought of God relating to its erection, purpose and glory. In this glorious person, the whole structure is reared, it all bears his features, it grows gracefully and silently, like Solomon's building, towards its glorious destiny, a holy temple in the Lord.
when the building is completed, with every saint of this dispensation in his own place, according to God's counsels, it will be the shrine of his glory. The vessel in which God will dwell to display what he is in the Lord Jesus, who from this place will administrate the world to come. Meanwhile, as acknowledging the authority of the Lord, the saints are built together for a dwelling of God by the Holy Spirit.